This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. Clive Myrie took the reins of the BBC's Sunday morning show today and the centrepiece was a pre-recorded interview with the Russian ambassador, Andrei Kellin. Myrie confronted Kellin with the evidence of war crimes having been committed in Ukraine, referring to the town of Bucha, and asked for his response to those charges. Let's go to the town of Bucha, which has become synonymous around the world with the crimes that many people point to of the Russian military. Um, can you explain why civilians have been shot in cold blood in the streets of Bucha. Mm -hmm. Is this how Russian troops are supposed mm -hmm. to conduct this mm -hmm. war? Because the evidence suggests yeah. that they're committing okay. war crimes, sir. If uh, you are really interested uh, uh, in this issue, then uh, you should understand that uh, after Russian troops has left uh, Bucha for three days, no one has uh, found anyone, any troops, any, uh, any bodies on the streets. And there are a lot of evidence of that. After three days, someone has uh, come and discovered some bodies. Besides, can you imagine that professional troops, as Russian troops, they will step over the bodies of someone during weeks and just leaving them behind? For what? For next provocation just to be done by someone is coming. I cannot believe it, frankly speaking. This is very unprofessional. The BBC has verified the footage, mm -hmm. and I have been to. I have Bucha, seen uh, the verification. I have, I have spoken uh, yes. to mm -hmm. some of the residents, mm -hmm. local people, mm -hmm. who heard the gunshots, and they corroborate mm -hmm. each other's story independently. Mm -hmm. And I went to Yablunska mm -hmm. Street, mm -hmm. and I spoke to people in the mm -hmm. neighbouring street, mm -hmm. and they heard the gunshots in a nearby school, mm -hmm. in a couple of other buildings, mm -hmm. and in Yablunska Street, which mm -hmm. is where these pictures come from. Mm -hmm. Sir, yeah. again, why is Russia conducting this war in this way? The mayor, committing of, war mayor of Bucha, in his initial statement, when it has been freed, has confirmed that Russian troops have left. Everything is clean and calm. The uh, town or village, this is town, yes, in, in a state, in a normal state, nothing is happening. No bodies are on the street. But next, after uh, it has been done. But uh, anyway. So this is all made up, sir. This is all a fabrication. In all our, this evidence is a our, fabrication. In our view, it is a fabrication. It is now. It is now. Why? Uh, uh, it is used just in to interrupt negotiations. Immediately after the Kellen interview, Mari spoke to the Northern Ireland Secretary Brandon Lewis. He asked Lewis if the UK government might ask Ukraine to cede territory to Russia in order to end the war. We are, however, getting suggestions from the French that there should be concessions from the Germans as well, that perhaps there needs to be territory ceded in order to bring this whole thing um, uh, to an end. Would you ever, do you think, reach the point where you would start applying pressure to President Zelensky in order to try to bring this to a, a swift end? I think actually the 
Prime Minister's support for President Zelensky and the country's support for Ukraine on a whole range of levels has been clear from the beginning. This is about the people of Ukraine and, the, as I say, the sovereign democratic um, country and, and government of Ukraine being in control of their destiny. This is a, a force that has come in from Putin, completely unwarranted. I have to say, the, the excerpts I saw from the... I didn't see all of the interview, but some of what I saw from that was quite astonishing, I think, in some of the... Um, denial of the, the reality of what's happened that people like yourself have seen firsthand. I've obviously seen what people like yourself Clive, have been reporting over the period. And I think it is right as a country, as a democratic country, that we stand up and support the sovereignty of a country like that, because there is always that follow-on question, well, if we don't stand up now and support an area like that and support the work Ukraine's doing to defend itself, what's next? Uh, so I think it is right that we continue that support, and I know the Prime Minister is very, very determined about that. Yeah, you, you may have heard what he said about Liz Truss. He called her yes. belligerent. Um, and look, can I just say, I think it's absolutely right that our Foreign Secretary stands up for what but, is right. But is it making potentially the situation worse? Some have hoped. Well, look, hold on. Let, let's go back to the starting point. Putin has invaded Ukraine unwarranted in the most abhorrent way. I think it is absolutely right that as a, as a friend of Ukraine, as a country, uh, supporting a, a sovereign state, supporting democracy, supporting the West, that we call out where something's done that is abhorrent, that is wrong, and Russia and Putin need to step back. Sophie Ridge questioned Lewis about the Sue Gray report into the Partygate affair. She sought assurances that Gray had not been pressured by the Prime Minister or others to pull her punches after reports to the contrary in the Sunday Times. So I just want to go through what's in the Sunday Times today because it does feel quite significant. On the night before her report, she was apparently lobbied to make changes to it. This is the Sunday Times. Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary, Samantha Jones, the Permanent Secretary at Number 10, and Alex Chisholm, the Permanent Secretary to the Cabinet Office, are understood to have pressed Gray to water down her conclusions. They go on to say, sources said that Case's name was among those they <laughs> wanted to remove, other changes were requested to sections of the report referring to the Prime Minister's wife, Carrie. Is that true? I don't recognise any of that. And look, I've got, I've got to say, we've had a police investigation into all of these issues now. They've come to their conclusions, made their decisions, and we've had Sue Gray. And I think I don't think anybody would question the independence and the probability of either the police. And I certainly I have to say, as I said to you on Wednesday, having worked with Sue Gray in her previous roles and my previous roles, I wouldn't... I wouldn't in any way questions Sue Gray's independence and determination to deliver a report that she is comfortable is a full and complete report, which is what she's done. Can you come on this programme and give us an, an assurance, a black and white assurance, that nobody in Downing Street, in Number 10, or in the civil service tried to influence the Sue Gray report? I'm absolutely confident that's the case. Look, I wasn't part of the report, I'm not part of the Number 10 team that worked with Sue Gray on the report, but as I said, anybody who's working Number 10 knows Sue Gray well enough to know that that kind of okay. thing wouldn't work, and no, I'm confident. And particularly now that Number 10 have um, outrightly uh, made the point and, and denied that this happened, I am confident that Sue Gray had the freedom to write the report that she was comfortable to write and publish. Ridge went on to ask why the Prime Minister had updated the ministerial code with a new proviso that ministers would not always be required to resign if they infringed it. Before um, doing this programme I, on Twitter, I asked if there's any questions that people would like to ask. And I know Twitter is, you know, Twitter, but still. Uh, I was quite surprised, actually, because this subject came up more than any other. Andrew Simmons, he wants you to explain Johnson's rewriting of the forward to the ministerial code. Don't honesty, integrity, transparency matter anymore? He's referring to the Prime Minister removing uh, those words uh, from uh, the forward. Colm Norton, it would be nice to hear a cabinet minister answer a question and with the new ministerial rules, he wouldn't even have to resign for doing so. Um, why is the Prime Minister trying to water down parliamentary standards? 
Uh, well, he's not. And let's remember, there's been a bit of misinformation out there about this. First of all, when the ministerial code is updated, which it is relatively regularly, I'm one of those who obviously has to fill in um, all of the members' uh, ministerial um, uh, declarations, and that's updated regularly as well. So whenever it's, it's updated quite regularly anyway. But this comes from the recommendations from the, from the Commission and some of it from Lord Guide around what there should be, and this idea of there being a graduated penalty process. Uh, people still have to resign if they uh, commit uh, uh, um, uh, misleading the House or something serious, but there, there was a request from, uh, from others, including Lord Guy and the, and the Commission, that we actually do have this kind of graduated approach. So it means that if there's a minor infraction, whereas before there may be a decision if there was a minor infraction, in theory, that that's too minor to resign, then there's no penalty. There are now a series of penalties for different infractions if anybody creates, commits an infraction in the first place. However, when Ridge spoke to the Labour Party chair, Annalisa Dodds, about the code, she was met with a very different response. When it comes to the reform of the ministerial code, you know, I think the difference is very, very clear. You've got Boris Johnson having removed the words integrity, accountability, honesty, even from the foreword to that code. As I say, he has watered down the sanctions. It used to be previously the case that any breaking of the ministerial code would be a resignation issue. Now there are other sanctions that have been put in there, even just apologising, where surely that would be the very first thing that we would expect. That's not a sanction. That's just what ministers should do as a function of course if they're found to have broken the rules. So we will be forcing a vote on this. We think that ultimately politics should be clean. They should be a force for good. We should have all politicians held to high standards. That's why we're calling for that vote. And finally, the leader of the RMT union, Mick Lynch, expressed his disappointment in the leader of the Labour Party ahead of possible strike action on the railways. Most people who come from traditional working class environments find themselves super exploited. Not only have they got poor wages, they've got poor conditions, if they've got any conditions, but they also find themselves under the threat of cuts uh, and that being job cuts. So there has to be a response from all of the trade unions and from the TUC. And, and we would sort of like to see the Labour Party and its leadership come in behind working class people so that they ensure they get a pay rise, so there's some support from the politicians as well as from the trade unions. Wow. And this is, this is a measure for Keir Starmer so that he can decide whether he's on the side of the workers in this country or on the side of the bosses. Do you think that he hasn't made that clear then? He hasn't made it clear at all. I've not heard him say once uh, during the current disputes, such as at the Co Coventry... Uh, Council, where the, the Labour Council sought to cut workers' wages and cut their conditions. I've seen no response from the Labour front bench that says we support the workers in their struggles. And that is the role of a Labour party. The name gives it away, that they're, support, they're there to support the Labour movement. Do you think that Keir Starmer's on the side of workers? I can't see it at the moment. Wow. And so what do you think that means for the, you know, the funding of the Labour Party and the union support for the Labour Party? Well, my union's not affiliated to the Labour no. Party, but I see many other unions, general secretaries and leaders, thinking, what is the point of this connection? If we just get this bland democratic party sitting in the centre of uh, politics, taking their, their instructions off the Daily Mail to some extent, and not actually getting behind workers' struggles, you'd have to ask yourself, why do they call themselves the Labour Party? So we need to see a strong line. The Labour Party needs to get back into working class communities, support better wages and support the end of precarious work, which is outsourced, subcontracted and vulnerable work where you don't know where you're going to get your next week's work from. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Matthew Taylor.
don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. <laughs>